The whole point of it is to clear up contentious issues and yet we're talking more about them than less. Welcome back to the Squawker Talker podcast. I'm your host, Greg Johnson, back from holiday, back in the room, back on the podcast. It's good to be back and joining me today is Ollie Young-Miles. How are you doing, Ollie? Yeah, very well. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm not Enjoy bad. your holiday? I am, yeah. Weirdly, I came back from, uh, I think it was in Spain. I think it was in Spain. It was, it was one of those holidays. <laughs> and it was warmer in England, which is not something you often get to say. But um, Jake... Entwistle's here as well. He's been away this I've summer, away, which we're going yeah. to get on to yeah. a little bit later on. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Good to be back as well. So looking forward to this. Mm, so you in South Korea? Yep, in Korea watching some of the Under-20 World Cup. So Fantastic. I'm uh, all, all ready to speak about the uh, young talents in football at the moment. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, before we get on to that, though, we're going to look at the week that just went by. The week that was. Um, Mo Salah has finally joined Liverpool. Great signing. Exactly what they need, Jake? Yeah, I think he is... I think he is probably perfect, that extra attacking force that they needed up front. The only, the only thing my worry is, is that Mane is so effective on the right wing. And mm. I think that's definitely Salah's best position because he, he roams in from inside. He plays on the right wing, but all of his chances are created from central areas. Mm. So he needs to be playing on the right to get the best out of him. So it'll be interesting to see how he works with Mane, but definitely a, a step forward in terms of adding to their attack. Mm. You do look at the stats and he's right up there for fast breaks. Um you want to read a piece on how he fit in and his style of play, you can check it out on my, my Twitter or on Facebook. On <laughs> Twitter, do check that out. I'm very sorry, but we do have to plug the content. Um, but just look at the other numbers. He created the most chances in the penalty box in Serie A last season. Only Hazard created more in England compared to what Salah did in Serie A. Um, I think before uh, Mane went to Af- AFCON, Firmino actually had that stat in England. So it's interesting that maybe he's got a similar kind of a output there, especially mm. what you're saying with how he overlaps with, with Mane there. But um, Salah, um, 6-5 games for Roma in Serie A, 29 goals, 17 assists. Do, do you share Jake's concern about where he's going to fit in, Oli? I think that's the main issue with his signing. I think in terms of excitement, it's a really good signing and that it's a player that's come to Liverpool um, at a good age, he's 25, I think, mm. and he's achieved a lot already. His um, numbers in Italy from both Roma and Fiorentina are ridiculous. But as Jake said, his best position in the last couple of years, even at Basel, was on the right wing. Mm. Um, and I personally think Liverpool would have been maybe not better off, but I think getting a striker would have been my top choice if I was Jurgen mm. Klopp rather than going for a player who, you know, is best suited playing on the right wing where their best player already plays. Mm. Um, so it's interesting to see how he fits in. I think what you what you said about, you know, his chances inside the box show he's, he's not just a sort of counter-attacking machine. He's actually very intelligent on the ball as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think maybe pre-season might give us some clues. You know, he might opt to play him in a false nine role as mm. well, see if he can do that like Firmino has done or maybe on the left, but... It gives Liverpool another option. That's something they needed. Well, interestingly, uh, Firmino, um, he, Salah's taken Firmino's shirt number. Firmino's been given the number nine, the hallowed number nine shirt at Liverpool. What do you think that says about Liverpool's transfer business? Obviously, there was rumours they wanted Timo Werner. Probably never going to happen. Red Bull Leipzig have got a lot of money. They've got Champions League football. Do you, do you think this is a sign that Liverpool aren't going to move for another striker, Jake? It, their success last season was based on Firmino being a striker that was willing to do all the work of a midfielder. Mm. So perhaps Klopp was someone like Timo Werner has obviously had a great season, scored a lot of goals, um, but he was a striker in the sense that he was there on the pitch to score goals. Mm. Firmino's sort of turnaround isn't always the best, but when you look at the numbers that matter to Klopp, 
um, he's high on in terms of tackles won in the final third, mm. interceptions in the, in the final third, and sort of that faith in him being the number nine that Klopp wants. Um, that faith has been put in him with the actual number nine shirt now. So there's all that stuff about him being the false nine and, and working as a midfielder. So I think, um, yeah, it's a sign that they want to trust Firmino in that position because he does exactly what, what Klopp wants from that position. Maybe, I mean, they're all quite quick-footed, quite technically gifted players. Maybe it's a case of, it doesn't really matter where the positions are, they're going to be moving around yeah. so much anyway, it doesn't matter. But it's definitely something that we look forward to watching, because Liverpool at their best last season, very fun to watch. Yep. Sure, it's only going to add to the excitement factor. I was just going there. to say, actually, I think that, that is a good point. Liverpool are going to have a really free-flowing attack. I think we've seen with Sturridge as well, under Klopp, he doesn't like having a static front man, which is basically mm. what, um, what Sturridge, Sturridge wants. Become. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is what Sturridge has become, really. So, yeah, I mean, I think they'll all interchange. Mane, Firmino, Coutinho and uh, Salah. If they can all get firing, then Liverpool are going to be ridiculous going forward yeah. again next year. Scary yeah. stuff. Scary stuff indeed. Um, not so scary has been England's um, summer in international tournaments, which is a strange thing to say. Usually <laughs> it's full of horrors and, and dreadful things. But A.D. Boothroyd, um, the much maligned and oft-criticised A.D. <laughs> Boothroyd, has steered the under-21s into the semi-finals. Just. Of the under-21 European Championship. Just, you say? Yeah, I'd say the, the England under-21s have been the least impressive out of the young lines this summer. Um, their first game against Sweden, they just struggled to break the Swedes down. And then against Slovakia, it was, it was strange because Slovakia looked the better team for most of it, but seemed to switch off. Mm. Um, to credit to Eddie Boothroyd, he's made some inspired substitutions Murphy. in this tournament so Whoa. far. He's used Murphy twice, and it's been absolutely perfect. Um so they've got the results and they're in the semi-final. That's the first time since 2009. So I don't knock him for that. Mm. Um, but definitely the under-20s at the World Cup obviously won it for the first time ever. That was impressive. Mm. And the under-17s, which happened ages ago now, um, they were really impressive. And there's players in there that obviously it's under-17s, so they're too young at the moment really to make an impact. But that team got to the final and lost on penalties, but perhaps should have won that tournament. So all three teams have been impressive in their own right, definitely. Mm. We often talk about the lack of, of talent in English football and where these players are coming from. They're clearly there at the youth levels. Is another question of how they come through. But I, I, you did say to me earlier today that you weren't entirely convinced by the under-21s this summer either. You said they had quite an easy draw in the group stage. Yeah, I think obviously it's progress com- compared to how England under-21s performed in the last two tournaments where they were awful. Um, but I, I do think this is par reaching the semi-final in that group. Um, I yeah, I think Slovakia were actually surprisingly good. They they've got a lot of good, um, technically gifted midfielders in there. Um, they impressed me both games I watched of them. Um, but I think with England, they the semi final is going to prove I think to be a bridge too far because they're coming up against either Germany, <laughs> Portugal, or Spain, all of Ooh, whom yeah. are packed full of you know star players. You look at Spain's midfield; they've got. Sornegues, Asensio. Champions League team. Dennis yeah. Suarez. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Dennis it's, Suarez was on the bench last game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, they, they've got their big guns with them, whereas England don't. You know, Deli Ali, Marcus Rashford aren't there. Um, and I was just thinking, like, you know, when I was coming in today, I, I think one player that would have really benefited from playing at this tournament for England is John Stones. You know, just getting that experience, that big game tournament experience at this level. You know, you look at the Spain players and they're thriving off it and Portugal players as well. I just feel like a couple of England's, you know, so-called senior members should be mm. at this tournament, really. Stones and Mawson as well. It sounds quite... Uh, yeah. I'd like to see that. Yeah, exactly. yeah I mean, exactly. The, that's, a, that's a solid partnership in the making. But I would say that 
Callum Chambers has stepped in and Mawson mm. and Chambers themselves as a partnership have probably been uh, the bright spots for the England under-21s. They look really good together. Chambers, I never knew how good he was in the air. Mm. You sort of saw it a bit more at Middlesbrough, but he wins everything. And then you've got like hulking Alfie Mawson next to him. They're a scary, <laughs> scary centre-back partnership and Mawson coming up with important goals as he did towards the end of last season as well with Swansea. So Real Madrid has got Sergio Ramos, Swansea City's got Alfie yeah. Morrison. It's kind of going that way, isn't it? He's yeah. very good for the late goals yeah, yeah. as well. Any other stars for you, Jake, in the England sides? Not just in the U21s, but generally in the young lines this um, summer. Under 20-wise, uh, the centre midfielders like, bossed the tournament. Just The whole tournament in general was just an absolute uh, goldmine for centre midfielders. Um, but Lewis Cook and Josh Onoma formed a formidable partnership. Uh, Lewis Cook obviously didn't get much playing time at Bournemouth. Um, which was probably because of the Jack Wilshere loan. Mm. They don't play in the exact same position, but the fact Bournemouth had the fact that Bournemouth had that extra centre midfielder probably meant Lewis Cook got pushed down. But I he, think there was yeah, an injury somewhere. Yeah, as well, injuries. Yeah. 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 Okay. So obviously, loads of factors last season stopped him from bursting onto the scene, but he definitely did that in Korea. Mm. Uh, the games I watched there, I, I was at the final, and he was imperious. He, like England didn't have much of the ball relative to obviously the result, but. He was winning tackles, and then whenever he got the ball, he never wasted it. Uh, his assist for Dominic Solanke in the quarterfinal against Mesco was the pass of the tournament. Mm. He split the whole, he split the midfield and defensive line in one pass, and, and we got the winning goal from that. So, Lewis Cook and Josh Onema definitely the standouts in that under twenty side. Mm. And just a quick shout out to uh, Jaden Sancho from the under seventeens, who's directly involved in more goals than any player in that tournament was genuinely sensational to watch. Really exciting player in Man City. Obviously, that's going to be a hard team to get into, but the um, they'll definitely be looking to build something around him in the future as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it is always exciting talking about the players of the future coming through. Are there any other players non-England affiliated that have really caught your eye this summer, Ollie? Ooh, well, I just You've named to... a few before, I've got to say. Like, I wanted to talk uh, about Onoma for a minute. Uh, Jake mentioned him, and Damari Gray, I, I always like watching for him. Mm. And, um, in, actually, in Portugal, I liked. Um, I quite like the look of Bruno Fernandes in yeah. midfield for Portugal. Um, I think in the first game, there was a little bit of surprise, you know, that Portugal didn't name Renato Sanchez in the squad, you know, considering his not in the squad, sorry, in the first team, mm. considering his reputation. He hasn't um, looked much fit though, has he? Obviously, he had a no. bit of a non-season. Yeah, he hasn't really him. impressed, but he, he got mm. that ridiculous yeah, assist that in the first yes. game. He's, That's de- he's definitely everything. got talent, but he's just um, fitness, yeah. But yeah, no, Bruno Fernandes, I've been impressed with. He sort of does everything really in midfield. He dictates the play really nicely. He's very good at set pieces. Um, his finish actually from that Sanchez pass was really nice as well, really composed. So he's he's one that I've been been quite impressed with so far. There's another tournament you might have heard about going on this summer, the Confederations Cup. Unfortunately, um, the use of a video-assisted uh, referees has, has kind of overshadowed the actual football going on there's been a few incidences and we've had a lot of questions from this probably it's probably mm. the, the thing we've had the most questions in <laughs> on the podcast today um before we go into maybe the nitty-gritty of what's going on um El Harazri has asked um is it a threat to football generally the concept of VARs do you guys think it spoils the fun in the game and it makes players and fans have to wait to celebrate goals or it just kind of disrupts the rhythm of the game what would you reckon to that Jake the the celebration thing is probably the the thing that worries me the most because you think like that's where the best moments in football are, like screaming about a goal being scored. Did you imagine the the Aguero Man City 
title winner yeah. with Martin Tyler <laughs> yeah. just had to say Aguero scored but we've now got to wait yeah, like, it yeah. ruins that and, and it will just undo all the, the happiness of those moments but at the end of the day it's it's obviously in its very early stages so that is probably why there is so much contention because they have the idea but they've got they need to practice to find out how it does work mm. Confederations Cup has proved so far that at the moment it's extremely confusing mm. so they'll need to work on that but yeah in terms of ruining celebrations and stuff I understand that that probably can't ever be undone if there has to be a referral mm. but in terms of using it to improve football you'd have to say that if they can find a formula maybe if they show the replays on the big screens maybe if we can hear the ref as a viewer at home or even in the stadium just to be let in on the situation and what's going on then that's probably the way to move forward because at the moment you're left in the dark until the referee blows his whistle. Mm. And that's what everyone's getting angry about. There is, I do have a bit of sympathy for the referees involved in this in the Confederation Court. It does seem the, the, the examples of the things that they brought the, the video assisted referee in, into have been quite complicated. So we'll go first for Portugal against Mexico. It ended 2-2. Um, the, Portugal had a goal disallowed for offside. Um, it, to be fair, at the time, it wasn't clear who had was meant to be offside who was scoring <laughs> Nani Pepe in the end it was all very confusing it came from two Ronaldo shots first a free kick that cannoned off the wall and then he took another one that hit the crossbar so it was chaos mm. um, and manager Fernando Santos um, in the end uh, said these are rules and if it benefits football very well no one has understood it very well yet it kind of goes back to what you were saying Jake in that it's, there's just uncertainty over what's trying to happen yeah. and maybe maybe this Confederations tournament is there to kind of be a bit of a, an experiment rather than the final the final answer to it all. But there was also more controversy in Cameroon, nil, Chile, two. Um, Eduardo Vargas had a goal rubbed out for offside and then had a goal kind of validated when yeah. the referee <laughs> thought it was offside, but it actually wasn't. Um, there's a lot of anger on the pitch from Vidal with the referee about that. Australia had a goal allowed, even though there was a clear handball in the build-up to that goal, which the VAR picked up, but the referee dismissed that. <laughs> um, and also in New Zealand 1, Mexico 2, there was a massive brawl on the pitch towards the end in the in the injury um, in the injury time. So there are currently only four types of calls that can be reviewed by a VAR, and there's a violations during the build-up and scoring of goals, uh, penalty decisions, red card offences, and cases of mistaken identity and the controversy over what happened in the Mexico New Zealand game is that there were about seven red card offences happening <laughs> in this massive brawl first there was a two-footed challenge from one of the New Zealand players after his, his shirt tugged back quite aggressively uh, it could have been a leg breaker if he actually got the guy and then about 50 people around the pitch shoving their fists and, <laughs> and hands in each other's faces which again that's a red card offence it only ended in three yellow cards and weirdly the referee ran off the pitch to look at the screen himself now I'm pretty sure a video assisted referee is not meant to be the referee himself is it Ollie? No no it was pretty bizarre it was the best brawl I've seen for a while <laughs> maybe since um, the Battle of the Bridge it reminded me a little bit of that but like sort of supercharged on the international stage <laughs> I just think with this like the whole point of it is to sort of clear up um, you know contentious issues and yet we're talking more about them you know than, than less it's mm. just confusing things more um, but yeah, you know, Confederations Cup is the perfect chance, especially this one when it's a pretty dire tournament to test something like this because a no one's well, people are watching it now because of the the weird decisions going on. But you know, you they, think that's stuff drawing <laughs> the crowds in? <laughs> they, they need to sort of they need to sort it out for the for the World Cup next year. Um, because imagine if this is if it was like this next year at an actual tournament mm. it would be absolute chaos well, I guess the problem is you can't standardise these things that are more subjective because they're subjective you've still got a person on the screen giving their opinion on what's happened whereas if it's like an automatic offside rule I mean I think the goal line technology stuff we've got is fantastic yeah. I say yes or no it's very clear whether it is or isn't 
Whereas you've got stuff like, like I say, the New Zealand-Mexico thing, where, to be fair, even if they did want to sit through and look at every single offence in that, they probably would have needed 90 minutes to do that, yeah, not exactly. just the game. Mm-hmm. So, that, again, that brings up the whole issue of disrupting the flow of the game and what, what, how, how much are you going to pay for the price of justice, I guess. Um, but, yeah, difficult one to kind of nail yeah. down. We're actually going to come back to that a little bit later on in the pod. I've had a few more questions. Um, but going back to football now, never mind <laughs> all these uh, technological issues, we had a question from Matt Brownie Case who asked, has the signing of Jordan Pickford for forty, sorry, thirty million pounds, set a new benchmark for prices on goalkeepers? What do you reckon, Jake? Well, I think Pickford's case is more to do with age than ability. So obviously, um, I, th- I, th- I think he's twenty-four now. He might twenty-three. He, he might be approaching twenty-four, twenty-three. Then, um, that's so young for a goalie. That's at least ten years, and Everton were desperate for a goalkeeper as well. Mm. So that probably. They're buying, not only are they buying potential, they were probably driven up by Sunderland because of the fact that Sunderland had probably watched Robles last year and thought they definitely need a goalkeeper. <laughs> um, so his price in general, I think I think with transfers, obviously there's, like we've said just in VAR then, it's hard to just standard, standardise a price of a player. Mm. A 24, uh, 23-year-old goalkeeper isn't always going to be £15 million or it, it, it's circumstances. And I just think Jordan Pickford... Has shown he's shown he's definitely shown he's got quality. Uh, he made the most saves in a single game uh, mm. when he got peppered by Arsenal towards the end of the season. And um, his distributions, he's always looks to fire it off quickly. You've seen a lot of that in the under twenty one tournament mm. as well. Well, one of the goals praised he came for free. Yeah, yeah. He he yeah. just looks up straight away, slices it uh, towards the channels. So he's got really he's got really good attributes. And I just think if you're buying a player, if Everton kept him for at least ten years or or even less than that, I just think the value becomes irrelevant. Mm. They've invested in someone that's got potential, got ability already. Uh, so thirty million seems a lot on the face of it, but in this situation, I I don't see anything wrong with it. Really, we think back to when Man United signed De Gea, another young goalkeeper. Do you think Pickford kind of comparable, both in terms of you know the investment being put into, and also a style of player? As as Jake said, he's he is kind of still underrated for his ability on the ball. I, I mean, I personally mm. have. I've overlooked that in the past. And um, David Priest, who many, many listeners and people may know, um, ex-goalkeeper himself, a goalkeeper coach, and he's also a journalist now. Um, he's been raving about the guy's distribution and his technique as a, as a goalkeeper as well. He's not just one of these guys who keeps busy and looks good mm. under fire, as it were. What do, you, what do you make of Jordan Pickford? I think, well, two things. Edison as well is another one that's gone yeah. for a lot of money. You're looking at those two. Edison cost City, what, 35 million? That's 65 million on two uncapped goalkeepers at international level, which is pretty mad. Um, when you think about it but I just think you know the last two or three years there's been a, a clear change and shift from major clubs in the transfer market banking on potential rather than the proven product and it started from the top and it's finally worked its way down to goalkeepers now mm. um, so I think I think we'll probably start seeing more and more young keepers go for this this kind of money um, you know they're they're becoming an increasingly valuable commodity, I think, young goalkeepers. Well, Donnarumma was apparently threatened with death threats, wasn't he, about <laughs> his future at Milan? Yeah, so but, I mean, it, it's, it's just mad. He's been playing for Milan since he was 16. You've got um, Alban Lafont at Toulouse, who's been doing the same. Mm, yeah. You know, goalkeepers, it used to be a position Te- I mean, where... So Ter Stegen as well went to Barcelona yeah. very young as well. Mm. It used to be a position where top clubs would be looking at sort of players in their late 20s, even early 30s, for a number one keeper, whereas now it's sort of changing, you know, to the other end of the spectrum. Mm. Um, so I think this is going to become sort of the norm, really. There's going to be rising fees for goalkeepers all the time, I think. Mm. Another another 
story in the news that's about a bit, I guess, about changing perceptions and changing style of play as well. We've had a question from Mitch Wadden, Squawker's very own. Uh, De Boer going to Crystal Palace, obviously ex-Ajax manager, went to Inter, didn't quite work out. The right appointment for you? Um, very different yeah. styles of play compared to the, the players he'll inherit, <laughs> I think, isn't I it? I think it's a better fit than if he'd gone to Southampton, which is where he was also uh, being linked with. Um, he, he sort of, he was very successful at Ajax, but not in the Ajax kind of way. They weren't playing, you know, the the style of football that the club had come to expect, I don't think. I think he was and often it, compared with Van Hoel, it was much more safe. Yeah. It was still possession-based, but you compare it to what Peter Boss did mm. last season, it wasn't quite as in your face, was it? Yeah, no, it was it was more pedestrian, I think, in its style, particularly in the, the last couple of seasons. And I think that might translate better to Palace than it, than it would at Southampton. Um, and he's, I mean, the only reason he's ending up at Palace is because he failed at Inter, really. Mm. And his reputation, somewhat unfairly, I think, has taken a massive hit because of that sort of two months crazy mm. spell at Inter. Um, but it's an interesting one because Palace are a club, I think, with massive potential. Um, Allardyce, I think, was starting to get them on the right direction after a couple of poor years. Mm. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he can take that on because he's, although he did really well at Ajax, he's still sort of unproven at that top level of management. So it's an intriguing appointment for sure. Mm, mm. I mean, I did just say maybe the players don't fit the style of play, but <laughs> you got Mihelovic there in midfield. He came in and he basically mm. just started hogging the ball yeah. um, after the January transfer window. So maybe that's a, a, a ray of hope for, for De Boer at Selhurst Park. Obviously, Sacco might not be sticking around, but again, showed that a ball player in, in their system actually brought out the best in them. What, what do you think of the fit between manager and club potentially? Yeah, again, I agree with most of the points Oli made there. Um, I, I really do think he... Inter didn't play that well under him, but he, he was there for 14 games, I think. Um, he did go really hard in trying to get was, like a really fundamental version of his style of playing. Yeah, it was, well. it was, he was sort of doomed from the start there. As soon as, as soon as you lose one game at the moment, with the volatility of the Milan clubs anyway, mm. um, it wasn't looked like he was going to do that well. But I think he is a very interesting appointment. I, I want to see more of him play. I want to see how he does adapt the Premier League, that cliche, and, and how he does use that Crystal Palace squad because they're in themselves. They've got fast wingers and a massive striker who wins every header, uh, especially towards the end of the season against the big clubs. Benteke was getting rave reviews for his because mm. he was just dominating the the top six teams. So Wilfred Zaha had his breakout season. Like they need to be able to get the best out of him. Um, as you said, the centre midfielders started to become slightly more cultured mm. that's a fair word to use um but it brought the best in Kabaye as well exactly and and jason punchin's not known for his tough tackling he, he mm. does make his tackles but his career has been built around his left foot mm. so someone well, he's the esther of uh, south london <laughs> isn't he so. uh might be a strong comparison <laughs> but definitely in terms of that they've got midfielders there and they've got players there that will be comfortable in possession mm. um and it's just about finding translating that possession into unleashing that that front that front three that towards the end of the season was was causing causing every team uh, trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, it probably is a good a good job he's not going to Southampton because we saw often to poor Claude Puel when he brought a, a very pedestrian <laughs> possession based approach to St Mary's. He kind of got kicked out for being too boring, didn't he? Yeah. So probably not the right fit there. But we're going to move on now to our big rumor of the week, and it's one Jake's going to like to talk about. <laughs> it might be your favorite player in the entire yeah. world at the moment, Kylian Mbappe. God. Kylian Mbappé, the man, the myth, the legend. He's still player. only a teenager as well. Um, I know, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, he's, he's already achieved more than some players will in their entire careers. Yeah. Um, 
it's a player right for any of the clubs he's been linked with, first of all. Obviously, he's at Monaco at the moment. A lot of people, including actually, not to name drop anything, but I went to an Arsenal kit launch of a day and spoke to Keown and, and Robert Perez about him. And they were kind of saying, well, you could stay in France a bit longer. He might benefit from a bit more mm. playing time at Monaco. But the clubs that have been linked with him are Real Madrid, Arsenal, obviously, and now apparently Liverpool as well. Out of that three, do you see any fitting him better than, than the other two? Um... I'd say <laughs> Real Madrid is probably he's 18 year old he's a fantastic player but that to to get into that team they've they've even got someone in Marco Asensio the 21 that didn't play every game last season mm. and is proving as we said in the under 21s that he's an incredible player. Uh, so Real Madrid might be too early. Um Liverpool have just bought Salah. <laughs> yeah. So they've just bought a, an attacking player. They've got their speedster um, already. So they've got their speedster and they've got that front three so Arsenal make the most sense, but then they haven't got Champions League football. Mm. Um, Arsene Wenger has come out and said he's a massive admirer of him. There's that French connection. Arsene Wenger nurtured Jérôme Marie into the player that he became. So mm. there's all those mm. similarities there. And Keown even said the other day that he, he in Mbappé he sees the best of Anelka and Henri, which is a pretty well, huge compliment, isn't Considering it? Considering Jérôme Marie as well considers <laughs> Nicolas Anelka one of the best strikers yeah. ever, then that mixture is... Is frightening, but in all honesty, probably staying at Monaco, where he's um, formed an incredible partnership with Falcao. They mm. work perfectly together. They have complete understanding, and they're both rattling in goals by the end of the season. Mm. Staying at Monaco is probably the best option. But in terms of if he if he had to move, and I had to choose a club based on those factors and what's already happened, I'd say Arsenal. But again, that's mm. that's just because with Sanchez and Özil, futures in doubt. Mbappe and Arsenal is probably the club where he's guaranteed to play, which he said himself is is a major mm. um, factor in where he does decide to go. Mm. Would you agree with that, Oli? Yeah, I, I, th- I think Real, in terms of his profile, you know, we're talking about a player who's playing for France already, and mm. at a time when they're blessed with outrageous talent all over the pitch, it does sound like a bit like a bad goal sequel, though, doesn't it? <laughs> to the, to the, uh, yeah, yeah. Was it Santi Munez in that? that yeah, film? yeah. I just, uh, I he's find, better than Santi Munoz. He, oh, he definitely yeah. is. Yeah, I find the uh, the Arsenal link. I think is is sort of, you know, sort of based around the whole French connection. As Jake was saying, he's very similar to Henri, and that would be a, you know, a similar career trage- trajectory. Um, the Liverpool one, I find completely bizarre. I can't see how that would mm. ever happen. Yeah. If if I'm being honest, I think Real Madrid, in terms of his profile and where he's going to eventually end up if he carries on like this, is is going to be the mm. club. I mean, you could almost see, given his relationship with Falcao, probably Benzema and Mbappe might work together. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, he'd be he'd be Benzema's long term replacement, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. I but mean, in the short term, maybe they could kind of play off each other. A I, bit. Th- I, th- I think the best deal would be if Real Madrid signed him and loaned him back for for a season, yeah. let him develop because. I mean, his his career so far has just gone one way. It's been like yeah. what career? His eighteen months. Have yeah, been. exactly. <laughs> it's just been constantly going up and up and up. Mm. And there is going to be he's going to have a little dip in form yeah, at some definitely. point. And it'd be better if he did it at Monaco than mm. at Real Madrid, where you know the the white hankies will come out and be <laughs> yeah, whistled. The spotlight will be on him mm. immediately. So I think the best thing for him is to stay. I don't see why there's such a need for, for young players to rush. We were talking about Donnarumma earlier. Mm. Seems like a sort of bizarre time for him to be leaving Milan when they're starting to build something. Um, and I think the same sort of applies to Mbappe. Mm. Mm. Fair enough. I mean, everybody's heard of him mm. um, after what he did in the Champions League, what he did with Monaco yeah. in Ligue 1 as well, obviously won the title there. But 
if you could, you could run down his strengths and weaknesses for us, please, Jake. Cool. As, as the foremost... That could be a podcast Mbappe, in itself. Um, well, that could. Um, if you could give us a condensed version. Condensed version. Well, basically, he is a striker that will beat any player to a ball. His his pace is frightening. Um, so he thrived a lot on the counter-attack. He's, his intelligence as well should be definitely um, foregrounded mm. as a strength because he the runs he makes and... Um, the way he times his runs, the off- he beats the offside trap every time and then just gets to gallop away and slot it in the bottom corner. So combining his intelligence and speed makes him a scary prospect. Uh, the only thing is, is that because he plays in a two up front, Falcao's relied a lot of the time on as the player to give the ball to. Falcao sort of takes in the ball, is technically gifted enough um, to receive it, shield it, um, win a couple of headers as well uh, and give it to the other players where Mbappe... In that Monaco team, he was the outlet. Um, the The game against Juventus was probably the biggest example of that. A lot of the balls were into the channel and, and he gave Juventus defenders a tough time, but very rarely actually held the ball up. Mm, mm. So at the moment, because he is 18 years old, he's probably one-dimensional. His pace has got him through um, against every opposition so far, and rightly so, um, because that mixed with his finishing. He's a deadly striker, but he's probably... A bit one-dimensional at the moment. Um, but what a dimension. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to score... If, so he was directly involved in more goals than any Monaco player. 37? Uh, yeah, 37 and, and 18 years old. And that's across all competitions. Mm. Um, so he's definitely got... His decision-making is brilliant. Uh, as I said, his intelligence, his timing of the runs. Uh, he's definitely got everything already to be a great player. But if you were going to say a weakness, you'd say that he thrives on chasing the ball. He's great at dribbling with it as well, but... Back to goal, you're probably not going to get much out of him. Fair enough. Well, just to move on from this section, just to sum it up, a move this summer likely for you, Ollie, or not? I think the fact that Monaco have already offloaded uh, Bernardo Silva, and they, I mean they could be selling uh, well, uh, Bakayoko as well, and they've bought Jordi and Bula, who yeah, fits yeah. the profile perfectly. Uh, yeah, I think like given the fact they've sold Bernardo Silva already, and it looks like Bakayoko might be off to Chelsea, and um, Fabinho has been linked away as well. Yeah, I, I can't. And Lamar, actually. <laughs> I hope Monaco don't lose more than two or three of their team from last year. I just think there's more sort of expendable players to, to lose for them right now than, mm. than Mbappe. And Mendy. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Mendy could go as well. Uh, I don't think it's likely this summer. I think it's, it's all sort of... He's, he's the player that everyone is talking about in world mm. football at the moment. And I think the fact that Monaco are getting picked off a little bit has sort of resulted in this speculation arising. But as we we're discussing... It doesn't seem to be a natural fit for him to go to a, a club right mm. now, whereas some of the other Monaco players, you would say there is. Mm. Likely or not for you this summer? Um, I think I think the likelihood of it is is definitely heightened because of what, what they've already done in the transfer market. Mm. Um, they've just bought a player who's nicknamed Titi, which was Thierry Henry's nickname. Kylian Mbappé is hailed as the, the heir to Thierry Henry in French football. So you could argue that Jordi Mbula, the La Masia product that they've just signed, is the next, is the third Thierry Henry. <laughs> the so, next Mbappe. Yeah, the next Mbappe. Fourth if you can't in Marshall, I take and it. He's only, <laughs> and he's only three months younger. So, <laughs> um, But I just think the, the moves they've made in the transfer market definitely suggest that they are about to be torn to shreds. Mm. Um, and these Mbappe rumours aren't just ex-club has offered this. There's been talks of conversations with managers. Yeah. Um, so if he, even if he was to be loaned back to Monaco, I still think he might be signing for another club this summer. Wow. Wow. 
Well, we're going to move on to another club which hasn't been linked to Mbappe, but as Oli did say, <laughs> they have been linked to many other Monaco prospects. And the team focus this week is Chelsea. And I want to know four areas that they need to put a bit of attention into this summer. A problem and a suggested fix. I'm going to come to you first, Jake. Okay, um, I'm going to go with uh, Diego Costa up front and just forwards in general. Um, obviously, there's that weird text exchange which <laughs> says that Diego Costa is not going to be part of Conte's plans next season, mm. which is bizarre because he played very well. We had that dip, but he gave them exactly what they needed. Mm. Um, so my suggestion for them uh, is to bring in someone that is able to fight for every ball and and scores goals. And I think the two players that are sort of kind of on the transfer market are Alvaro Morata and Andrea Bellotti. Uh Bellotti was the most fouled player in Serie A last season and committed the most fouls in the league. He's an absolute handful up front. Again, you can argue that in Serie A they blow their whistle more, all those cliches, but he's definitely a player that will put mm. himself about and that's what Diego Costa earned his reputation for. He can improvise like Costa as well. Like he's, it, finished, he's got exactly. a finish from everywhere, hasn't he? Exactly. He, um, he's, he was the only person to score uh, double figures in terms of headers in the league last season. Oh, wow. Um, so he gets in the box, he flicks it on, contorts his body to make sure that the ball is going in the net. And although he might need work in terms of, again, his, his cause I think Costa is a rather complete forward. Mm. He does run the channels more than you, you think when you look at him. And also his link-up play is good. Um, but Bellotti's the sort of player that will be a handful. And again, if there's connections to be made, he's played in Syria, which is where Conte learnt his trade. And so he loves signing players yeah, in there as well. Exactly. So it's... <laughs> There, there's connections there that means he'd be a good fit and mm. the only problem is he's 23 years old and he could be costing 100 million yeah. euros according to their president so almost the whole Mbappe that yeah exactly oof, oof, oof. Um, but he's a good shout uh, a good shout I think for uh, a forward if they need one mm. so that's the forward line potentially sorted out what's your problem what's your fix Ollie? not as much a problem as, as that but right wing back I would say is probably the area that, that they could do with strengthening. If you look at that team, Moses did well last year. Mm. He um, sort of surpassed any expectations I think anyone had of him. There's, there's talk of um, Adama coming in, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> no, that wouldn't work. My my fix would be, I think the thing with Moses is he's he's the kind of player that would is fine in the Premier League, but in the Champions League, defensively, he'll get found out. And I think for that wing-back role, they need someone that can do both. Um, and I think the perfect player for them is um, Andrea Conti. Who's at Atla- Atalanta? Mm. Um, I think another they, side that's going to be picked apart. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think they were linked with him actually a few weeks ago. But if you look at his stats from last year, he got eight goals and five assists uh, from right wing back. Mm. Um, but he also committed zero defensive errors and made five defensive actions per game. So he, I mean, I think that basically shows you that he's very, very good going forward. Very good defensively. He's another that's looked strong in the um, under twenty one Euros. Yeah. I think he's probably Italy's best player in the first yeah. game. Um, so I think he would be. He'd be a good player for them to get in. Obviously, they've got Aspilicueta who could probably push into that role if they get a mm-hmm. centre-back. Mm. Um, but I think signing a specialist wing-back uh, like Conte would be perfect for Chelsea. Jake, what's your other diagnosed problem with Chelsea? Well, that would be, that fits in perfectly to what I'd say is that left left wing-back needs reinforcement, if not, if not improvement. Mm. Marcus Alonso, again, had a, a great season. But when he didn't play and Chelsea stayed with the 3-4-3... Th- yeah. Unless they were playing someone that they were absolutely dominating. So I know there were times where Pedro played left wing back and it looked good. But when Marcus Alonso didn't play in that left wing back role, most of the time they looked very shaky mm. and, 
And I mean, I personally think the reason why Mourinho's tactics were at Old Trafford and the 2 0 win is because mm. you look at when he tried to man mark Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, the extra option Alonso offered meant that Hazard kind of always had an escape route with the ball or something else. Whereas when they went to Old Trafford, Alonso didn't play. They could yeah. shut down Hazard. They could shut down Chelsea. I, I massively agree with that because when you play a three-four-three formation, you're you're relying on those three forwards to roam in that final third, and they need an outlet out wide. And when you don't have a left footer playing there as well, naturally you're just going to get narrower and narrower. And as you said, that all the space for Hazard just got completely sucked mm. up. Mm. Um, so I think left wing back, and uh, he's been in the news and been linked. Um, Alexandro from Juventus. Uh, he was incredible in the Champions League. Mm. Um, in the knockout stages, uh, only Casemiro, who was flying around, uh, won more tackles than him. Uh, he was impressed, very impressive against Barcelona. And he again, he these Brazilians are just uh, Brazil were just churning out fullbacks. Yeah. He's, he he doesn't get talked about as much, um, but he's exceptional. Yeah, he can go. He is, he's truly complete as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tackle, exactly. He's 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 like. Um, He's like a centre midfielder but that plays left back mm. in terms that he's completely comfortable on the ball. He can dribble, he can cross, he can win tackles. He's got enough, he's played enough now in the top leagues that he's developed that sort of game sense, makes the interceptions. So in terms, as Oli said, in the Champions League when they need that probably extra defensive security um, and experience in that, in, that, um, in that league, then Alexandro would be the perfect upgrade to Marcus Alonso. Mm. Fourth and final problem and, and a fix for it, if you have one. Yep. Uh, I was going to say a ball-playing centre-back. Um, I think the back three worked really well last year, and I, th- I suspect Gary Cahill will probably stay in the side because he mm. brings so much to that team in terms of leadership. But I do think he, playing in that left centre-back role, he did get caught out at times. Mm. Um, one player that, I, I mean, it's an easy fix because they've already got him, is Christensen coming back is sort of the perfect player to sort of slot into a back three. Tall as well. I mean, the problem yeah. was, I mean, sorry to put in, but when 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 teams pressed Azpilicueta, mm. the ball had to go to Cahill, they looked shaky. When they mm. were sending long balls over to the right side where Azpilicueta was a little bit shorter, was, yeah. they were vulnerable in the air. So having a tall guy that's comfortable on the ball is kind of the key, yeah. isn't it? Well, that's the thing. If they don't get a right wing back... Um, I, I can see them shifting Aspilicueta into that role and putting Christensen in that right mm. centre-back role. He's played right-back before as well. He's very comfortable on the ball. Um, he had a 91% pass accuracy rate for, for Gladbach last year. And, um, I mean, he if you look at Chelsea, everyone knows that they loan every everyone out. <laughs> but very rarely does anyone come back and, you know, and, and make a presence for themselves in that team. Courtois is probably the only one uh, that you'd think of. And Christensen's Victor Moses, loan. mate, come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, I mean, just was... rescued it after four years. That was literally yeah, just like, oh, he's, he's back again. Where are we yeah. going to send him this time? And then finally Conte was like, oh, yeah, I could use him actually. Yeah. Whereas um, I think if you look at Christensen's loan and, and Courtois, they're quite similar. Mm. Um, there seems to be more of a plan there. Get him out for two years, get him some experience, and then hopefully he'll be first team ready to come back. I mean, you, you could have said after, first, after the first year, he could have come back because... He was very good for Gladbach in um, 2015-16. He improved last year in a team that got worse. Yeah. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, he, he'd slot straight back into that squad mm. next year. And we've picked out a few players on our own personal radars there that we thought could, might be able to improve <laughs> Chelsea. We're going to move on to our next section now, the Squawker Scout section. I've asked you guys to, to have a look at a player from last season who stood out for you on the numbers that maybe isn't getting attention in the transfer market that maybe you think he should. I'm going to come to you first, Jake. Who's your 
Your Squawker Scout my, for this week. My Squawker Scout will be a uh, another under-21 player to fit the theme. And um, he sort of confirmed everything that I thought about him, like looking at the stats this season in his recent performances for Spain under-21s. And that's uh, Danny Ceballos, the better centre midfielder. He just looks incredible because no one can win the ball off him. Mm. Uh, again, in this in this tournament, especially to put a magnifying glass on it, um, he's already the most foul player in the tournament because he receives the ball, presents it at that moment where you think, I can definitely get my foot in there. <laughs> yeah. And he'll just spin away and just gets kicked. He's what Wilshire wishes he was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Wilshire was quite good at it as well, to be fair to him. just He got caught too many times. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. He was almost too good at it and lost his ankles. But... Um, <laughs> Sabayos gets enough of his body in the way as well to just think, oh, no, you can't have that shield of the ball. <laughs> and and then he just breezes past players as well. He picks the ball up deep and then takes people on. Completed more take-ons than any um, under-21 player in La Liga. Um, and, he, and he won 66 tackles as well. So he's this midfielder that's comfortable on the ball. Mm. He's dynamic. He's a strong presence. And um, there's reports that his re- release clause is, is very low. I don't want to say that it is a release clause, yeah, but... Yeah. You can never be sure as well with a foreign club and all the rest of it. With Spain, I know that they pretty much have a rule like you have to have one. Mm. But um, So there's reports that he could be available for 15 million euros, which um, for an under-21 player with this much sort of steel about him already, uh, he could be an absolute key key buy and and has gone completely under the radar, I think. Mm. I mean, some people in the office are saying he could be the next Antixord, even the next mm. Musa Dembele, but we'll yeah. have to see about that yeah. in the future. What's your Squawker Scout pick, Oli? I've gone for another 21-year-old centre midfielder, Ooh. <laughs> uh, this time from Serie A. Uh, pretty much just based on based on the numbers, which I sort of came across the other day. I've I've done a little bit of research mm. behind him. After. Very nice. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, this guy called Lucas Torreira plays for Sampdoria. Mm. He's a um, 21-year-old Uruguayan from Frey Bentos. Uh, as high country, <laughs> high country. But yeah, that, if we just go into the numbers quickly, because they're pretty mad. He was, he made the third most tackles in Serie A last year, seventy-two, uh, seventh for interceptions, eighty-seven, and fifth most passes uh, in the league, seventy percent of which went forward, um, which is you know which is quite impressive. And that was his first season in top-flight football in in Europe. Um, he's, he's, I think he's about five foot five. He's tiny, but he <laughs> gets about the pitch. Um. And I think it, it shows a lot as well in that Sampdoria side. He sat just in front of the back four, um, which for a 20, he's 21 now, but for a 20-year-old, it's a lot of sort of pressure to put on yeah. a player like that in a yeah. big league. And he thrived on it. Um, and he's one that I'm surprised teams like Milan, who are rebuilding, mm. aren't really looking at. Um, I mean, yeah, he's very good defensively, but also when you when you watch him, he can carry the ball as well. Mm. He created over 30 chances, I think, as well in the league. So he, he seems to be a very complete player. Mm. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he sort of comes on the radar of any any clubs later in, later on in the summer. Well, my Squawker Scout pick is going to stay in Serie A, actually. <laughs> um, it's a Brazilian winger. You might have heard of him. Uh, Felipe Anderson plays for Lazio. And I just think it's fascinating. He's won the most tackles in Serie A last season with 79. He's also won the most take-ons or dribbles with 117. Um, averages two defensive actions per game. He's a right winger. He can come inside as well. He can also yeah. play on the left. Four goals, nine assists. I, I, in this in this modern age of <laughs> pressing football and intensive action in the final third, he sounds ideal for a club like Liverpool or Spurs, doesn't he? he screams Tottenham. He, he, he screams does. Tottenham. He really does. Well, 
considering they need I know you said he played right wing but um, he's played on the left as well probably more often than Salah mm. inverted on the same side so again as you said the tackles won and the take-ons in terms of a player that can beat a man and then rob him back of the ball mm. again Liverpool would have been perhaps uh, based on the numbers mm. a perfect fit well hey Conte he's also played a little bit not loads a little bit of a wing back for Lazio <laughs> in a very aggressive system so mm. Antonio if you're listening he could be your boy he could be your boy. A quick game now of Would You Rather. I'm going to fire some quick, not yes or no questions. You can have one option or the other. You've got to pick them between them. Um, first of all, one from Twitter from Steve Williams who asks, VAR good or VAR bad? <laughs> oh, he's wincing. Oh. Jake is wincing. Now bad. That, that's, you know, okay, that's it. Right, fine. VAR bad for Jake. What are you going for, Ollie? Now bad as well. Oh, that's a bad for VAR. <laughs> uh, Christian Van Slyke says, if you were Barcelona, Verratti or Dembele this summer? Verratti. Verratti. Ooh. I mean, I Na- Neymar says he wants him, so you, you've gone yeah. with Neymar. That Neymar. sounds like the right option, doesn't it? Um, you're Manchester United, Matic or Fabinho? Fabinho. Fabinho. Oh. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of consensus <laughs> that, that, here. Like. That, is, that question is... Sorry to uh, sort of going on it more but Fabinho is just 10 times better uh, Jake that was my question I'm very sorry uh, we'll move on we'll move on uh, Barkley to stay at Everton or Barkley to go uh, I think he should stay I think he should go now that they've got Klassen I think that'll push him out of the team and it will be interesting to see where he goes that might be something we look at for next week for the big rumour if things move on mm. and final one again from Steve Williams who asks keep transfer windows or allow transfers at any time I've, they need to be kept for some order I'd keep them, but cap them for the start of the season. Well, have it before. Yeah, so and either push the season back or bring it forward because it just causes too much unrest. Mm. And Given how hot it's been here this last week, I do not think we can move the season back <laughs> at all. So we're probably going to have to limit the yeah. tra- Maybe bring the transfer window forward. Maybe just do it like a week after the season rather than three or four weeks in yeah. when teams are you know, sort yeah. of trying to get, their, get going in the season. Some very, very quick... Uh, wrap-up questions um, just to breeze through now. Ali Jameson asks, first of last year's top six to sack their manager. doesn't have to necessarily be this year. I mean, they could go five <laughs> years and, you know, but who do you think out of any of them will be sacked first? Um, like I said, there's no time scale to this, so. Yeah, I think I think Klopp, Liverpool, that's <gasps> right. Because of what, because of how heated it got last season. I, yeah. I don't necessarily think he was doing a bad job, but the, Wenger has proved he's invincible at <laughs> Arsenal, so it can't, <laughs> It can't be him. So I think um, I think Klopp's on a fine line. For, I don't know why myself, but if I was going to say a manager, I think he's... Very emotional club, isn't it? Yeah, Liverpool. exactly. Very yeah. emotional club. What about yourself, Ali? I'm going to go for a, a bit of an off-the-wall one here. But I'm going to explain my reasoning first. Go on, so then. I think if you look at Spurs and Arsenal, Pochettino and Wenger won't get sacked. I doubt. I highly All doubt. All I'm going to say is, I was, we're covering go. a few games of White Lane last season. After the whole debacle in the Champions League, there no. were a lot of like Pochettino out. <laughs> no, it was not. It was, <laughs> no, it was weird. No, honestly, I was surprised by it. You had yeah. guys from the stands like shouting, "You don't know what you do," and I was thinking, yeah. "He does. <laughs> he's really good." This guy. Nah, but he's staying. He's staying. Um, I think I, I disagree with Jake in the Klopp sense. I think Liverpool feel it's weird. The Liverpool relationship with Klopp. It seems like they feel they're lucky to have him still. Mm. <laughs> um, which I think is the same with City and Guardiola. It's almost like a three-way relationship, though, is in you've got the club, the fans, and Klopp, and there's a weird antagonism between the club and the fans at times. Yeah, It's, it's all a bit yeah. strange. Yeah, I, is, just, I just think it's volatile. That's mm. why I picked him. Mm. So I think those two won't. United, I think, under Ed Woodward are Are you just so... going to go through them all? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I've, been, I've been thinking about this properly. I need to explain it. Uh, I think United, Ed Woodward is so desperate for success that he's going to keep Mourinho until they win something big. You. 
No, so I'm ending on Conte. I think, Ooh. yeah, he won the league, but he's a very volatile character. Abramovich is trigger-happy chairman. I can see them coming to blows and colliding eventually. If you think about Mourinho in his first spell at Chelsea, everyone thought that was a match made in heaven and, you know, it would go on forever. And that sort of came to a sort of mm. grinding halt. Um, there have been rumours. There's been a couple of rumours about Conte. Um, during he was favoured to be Chelsea. sacked at one point last yeah, season. Exactly. <laughs> but there's no smoke without fire, Greg. So <laughs> who knows? So we I'm going to say Conte. We did actually have a question on Twitter from Sir Harvey Puzzi who asked, are we surprised um, that Chelsea haven't made any big signings yet? But I've got to say, that's probably one to come back to after July the 1st because there is a bit of um, talk mm. of mm. their accounts are resetting all the rest of it. Basically, accounts yeah. are involved and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. they're making it a bit boring. Come on, lads, it's transfer yeah. window. You've got to buy someone. I think just once all the t- all the tournaments are over as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. This confeds. I know we've said that it's not really the greatest tournament, mm. but players are away so it just makes it that bit mm. tougher so mm. once all of those are done 31st um end of this month mm. then we can see uh the big transfer rumors coming in tb asks what's the status of wayne rooney at united i almost made this a would you rather again but do you reckon he's gonna stay or he's gonna go i think he'll stay but not out of united's choice i think he's basically <laughs> priced out of going anywhere else mm. um, he doesn't see everton now with all their new signings they yeah. look well, I read somewhere that yeah. they could offer him a third of what he's earning. And, I mean, he's not going to go for that. Mm. It basically, his option is to go to China or MLS or something I like that. I can't see him ever leaving the Northwest. Or yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think mm. United are going to hang on to him. Probably, you know, wheel him out for League Cup games and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I just, he's got no future at United, but I, I can't see him going, to I can't be see a future him elsewhere either. I don't mean that yeah. in, in a disrespectful yeah, exactly. way. It's it's, he's almost been a victim of his... Early success. Mm. So he's on that amount of money because he was sensational. Yeah. I mean, we uh, joked about Mbappe doing more than anybody else yeah. in their career, even 18 months. Yeah. By the time he was 23, Rooney had literally won everything. Yeah, exactly. So he's been there and done it all, and he earns a lot of money, maybe too much money, whatever, but it's because he was incredible for so long when he was young. And that's, as as Ollie just said, he's probably priced himself out of any mm. other move mm. because of how good he was. So I agree. I think he'll stay at Man United not necessarily be used, but that is probably the most logical option for, for him and, and financially works for everyone else. I think Question. to be fair to Rooney, he comes across as you know, a really good professional. Yeah. And I think now Ibrahimovic is gone, there's maybe that sort of leadership uh, void at United. And I'm not going to lie, I did write a piece saying that if Ibra goes, then they should probably push Rooney out. Because I think during Moyes think- and Van Hal, I think he kind of may have been involved in leading a clique. Maybe not in a in a political kind of house of cards kind of way but <laughs> I think he's such a big personality he, he has his own little power like yeah, kind of actually ring around him I, I do wonder if that is actually a bit of a hazard for Mourinho yeah now you mention it I mean we, when Fergie was at United there was two occasions that I can remember where he got rid of the sort of big personalities and the leaders mm. in that team in 95 when he brought through um you know the class of 92 mm. and then in 06 I think it was when Keane and Van Nistelrooy and players like that went so maybe this would be a good time to get rid of Rooney if they can get rid of him to just sort of get those young guys going again. Like Got a question specifically for you, Ollie, given what you said Ooh. earlier about fighting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Owen Griffiths would like to know what the panel thinks constitutes a brawl in football these days. Obviously, we have the Confederations Cup between New Zealand and Mexico and Oscar starting a fight that I think he's been banned for, is it eight games or yeah. eight weeks now? Uh, I think I think it's eight games, yeah. 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 What constitutes a brawl in football for you now? Is an EP blood? Is that what it is? Have I become the the brawl expert? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think the uh, the New Zealand Mexico one, you know, in terms of modern football, is is pretty good. Brawl. <laughs> you got a smile on your face. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, this, is, this is the strangest uh, sort of. It was just really weird. It had like, 
it just how it how all escalated. There were X punches per minute, and uh, <laughs> it was just so entertaining. It's probably I'm the not, best it, thing about the you should get up. on YouTube and watch the highlights of it because it was actually it's it, amazing. Was a, it was a spectacle in its own right. Um, but we should probably move back onto the football yeah, quite yeah. swiftly. Um, Reed Hammond asks, um, it, well, "This is a bit of a wider question, but I want to bring it back to the Confederations Cup." Um, a peek into what's happening in Russia in the Russian Premier League at the moment. There's a lot of money coming, like, not maybe not coming into the league, but staying in the league from the the, the petrodollars, as people like to say. Um, Russian players, are, as they always have done, but more so than ever, pretty much staying in Russia. Um, have you seen anything in the youth teams or in the international teams, Jake, to, to make you suggest that actually that's been good for the game? We've seen guys like Mancini go to Zenit now, obviously that AVB for a while. Um, Spalletti was there as well. Would you reckon mm. the foreign coaches and keeping the talent in Russia is actually helping the Russian game? Well, the Russian national team look awful. So, <laughs> so in terms of that, uh, I know they've got a, an, a, an aging contingent there, mm. which might they be, always seem to have an aging well, contingent. Exactly. There. So, the, so the, the Russian national team at the moment might not be the product of these new changes. Mm. Um, but I'd say on the on the surface that way, I think it's it's still got a long way to go to rebuild that. Mancini's mm. a great. Uh, a great pull for them, but mm. Zenit and themselves have always been able to get anyone, as you as you mentioned, uh, Vias Boas, and then the players, marquee players like Hulk, uh, mm. have been in Russia. So th- there's always been that weird pull. A lot of Brazilians go towards Russia and and that that area in itself. Um, so in terms of developing players, they've 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 got that pull. Um, I know that they're as attacking midfielder at the moment, Golovkin's. Um, been, I don't know if I've pronounced that right, but anyway, he's been linked to the Arsenal and Premier League clubs. So they always have at least one player. Like it was yeah, a, exactly. Jagowev uh, yeah. is now twenty eight. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, where, yeah. Where did that go? So there might be benefits, but on the surface, I'd say it's it's still got a lot of work to do. Mm. I've got another question from Matt Brownie Cake. You asked, "What are your thoughts on rules that were brought in and faded out with a bit of a whimper, such as FFP?" But I kind of want to twist this question because this week we've there's a report from Jack Pitbrook for the independent uh, football, saying that if Arsenal do give new contracts to Ozil and to Sanchez, they're going to probably be in breach of FFP and we'll have to sell some players to, to raise their funds and bounce their books to do that. And also, it was kind of assumed that tapping up was no longer a thing. It seems every week at the moment, a big club or a small club is accusing a rival of mm. tapping up their players. So do, do you think the rules that have been brought in have, have, have whimpered out or do you think they're still there, waiting to be uncovered? I don't think it, the, the whole thing has achieved what it set out, which was to make... You know, football fairer and sort of eliminate dodgy dealing. I don't think that's happened at all. But it's hard for um, FIFA as an organisation yeah, to do exactly. anything like that, isn't it? <laughs> it seems a bit conflicting with mm. with the whole Champions League sort of structure that they bring in, which favours the big clubs. To I don't really know what they're trying to do with it. Um, City and PSG got fined a few years ago, didn't they? They got fifty million fines, um, but I think they've both been sort of compensated for. Since so it sort of shows that it's a bit of a sham of a rule, really. Um, and yeah, it, it kind I, of worked. Well, I'm not sure it does work, but it's been put in and implemented it's a good in idea. the. It's been used in the football hasn't. league though, and that that's kind of been used as a deterrent mm. to stop clubs trying to spend beyond their means as well, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah so that's again, that's probably there as like a, a safety blanket sort of thing, like to make sure they don't get in situations where they genuinely just have to liquidate. Mm. Whereas in the clubs like Man City and PSG, they can bat away these fines. There's no, there's no real effect unless there's some sort of scale to which you get fined depending on your net worth, etc. Like that, then there's, there's potential for it to have a meaningful impact. But as you said, in the football league, it probably works, and clubs are probably glad it's there. So they think, oh wait, we definitely can't do that. Whereas 
uh, the the elite clubs and the richest clubs in the world are probably finding loads of loopholes and mm. and and picking out uh, everything to do with that and and avoiding the sanctions. Mm. Just quickly going back to to that Russian question slightly. Uh, mm. Kenneth Choi asks them, um, "What do we think of Hall's appointment of Leonid Slutsky, and what can we expect of him?" Hopefully more than he served up at Russia at CSKA because he seemed watching... like quite a tragic figure, didn't he? Like almost yeah. like, oh, why have I got myself into this? He looked really sad. Well, he about tried the to whole resign, thing. didn't he? What, what was the story? So he was, kind, he was kind of being the Russian manager as a favour to the Russian yeah, Federation. That's it. He wasn't getting paid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he just had this face on him all through, just going like, "Oh, what have I done? Why have I done this? Yeah. Oh, everyone hates me." I'm sure me. he tried to resign after yeah. straight after they lost the, the third game yeah. or something. Yeah, I did feel a bit sorry for him there actually, but. Well, he was successful in Russia, in the Russian Premier League. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, going back to the whole Russia thing, though, I think it's hard to gauge how good that league is and how good the players are in it because mm. there always seems to be a Russian wonder kid. You know, remember Cochrane a few years ago? Yuri Zirkov. And nothing ever mm. happens to them. So, yeah, it's a really interesting appointment. I think Hull got it spot on with Marco Silva mm. and their fans will obviously be hoping that this can be, um, you know, another sort of rabbit pulled out of the hat. But I mean, he's got the experience. He was mm. in... Apparently, he did come to London, I think, uh, midway through last season, looking to get a job in England. And, uh, <laughs> He's just just, the just yeah, Bramovich put him up and basically tried to get him into contact and stuff. So, you know, got back in, hasn't he? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I thought it was just a bizarre appointment. And they went for this sort of young, unknown um, character in Marco Silva that proved to be a really good appointment. And now they've just sort of got this guy that's been around a long while. <laughs> yeah. He's um, a big jolly Russian bloke, though. Yeah. It's going to be great, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, I just found it really strange. I'm interested to see how it pans out, but... Just when it was done, I just I didn't really know what to make of it. Mm. Maybe if, there'll be another yeah. rebrand. Maybe next season there'll be the Siberian Tigers. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's what needs to happen. Oh, Final dear. question before we wrap things up. Uh, Steve Williams asks, if you were at FIFA and in charge of making changes to the game, what change would you make and why? Obviously, there's been suggestion of new rules to bring into football, limit the game to 60 minutes and all the rest of it. If you had to want, make one change, Jake, what would it be? And it can't be everyone has to be under 21. <laughs> I mean, the teams would develop then, definitely, wouldn't they? Um <laughs> That's a tricky one, lad. Uh, we can come back to you, sure. Yeah, I think I need a bit more time yeah. to think about that one. Have you got one, Ollie? It has to be a serious one. It can be whatever you want it to be. It's the end of the more, podcast. More brawls. More entertaining the better. <laughs> more brawls. Thank you for Ollie. making it this far, more listeners. Ollie's got one for you. <laughs> no, the one I'd like to see, well, I don't know if I'd like to see it, but it'd be, it'd be interesting. <laughs> Remember back in, like, 20 years ago when the MLS had penalties? Yeah. Penalty shootouts yeah. where the players had to dribble the ball. Yeah. I think they had, like, they had five seconds to shoot. <laughs> that would be awesome. Imagine seeing that. In like a big game, um, Neymar just waltzing down, <laughs> yeah, flip exactly. flapping it, and then a rebound. Like in the trying top to skill goalkeepers yeah. and score goals. That'd be interesting to see. So yeah, you're going to bring it back the NASL penalties. I am, yeah, beautiful, yeah. a much, Jake. yeah, a long awaited comeback. <laughs> I'd, I'd go for a tamer one, and I just think uh, extra time and stuff like that needs sorting out. Uh, golden goal was exciting because you knew if you if you did score, you'd won. Mm. So the celebrations after that, as we said, like ruining celebrations with VIR, but. <laughs> There'd be even more contention because it would literally be the winning goal. But yeah. I think just that sort of pressure it puts on extra time, maybe it sometimes made it really cagey mm. and players played out for penalties. But if then you introduce golden goal plus Ollie's old style penalty, <laughs> then every team would want to go to extra time because that would just be the funniest thing. I like I just, it. I just think on um, rules, actually, they've finally got one right, I think, in that you can make a sub in an extra time now. I think yeah. it's a really yeah, clever, yeah. good rule that's been brought in. Um we always criticise the federations for bringing in stupid rules, but I think this one has actually worked. Yeah, thanks FIFA. Good job, <laughs> lad. Finally. Finally. <laughs> um, but finally, that is that it brings us to the end of the podcast. It's the it's it's 
That's, That's it. it. We're done. Um, this is my first podcast since the holiday. I feel refreshed. I feel happy. I want to do another one. <laughs> do another one straight away. But you have to wait until next week, next Friday, and we'll be back with another episode of the Squawker Talker podcast. But um, for today, Ollie, thank you for coming on. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure as always. A very, very. It's, it's a bit warm in here, but it's, it's, you yeah, know toasty, the weather's yeah. calming down a bit. <laughs> we, we we've made it to the hour mark, so that's all good. Jake, thank yep. you for coming on. Yep, I made it as well. So yeah, thank, thank you, you for your insights me. on youth football <laughs> no and the young lions. Join us again next week, and thanks for listening.